Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. I'm Andre, and it's been a long time since I've recorded something. Been super busy these past couple um, um, weeks and whatnot. But I'm here with Vanch, who has pretty much been holding the fort um, with excellence, let's say this way. So, how are you doing, man, today? Yeah, Andre, it's good to be back with you. Uh, good to hear your voice again uh, as the host. Missed your voice, and uh, yeah, I was happy to bring on some guests, try to keep this show rolling, but uh, it's been so busy, you know, with the clay season and yeah. two-week events now and Masters events and scheduling has been tough for everyone, I think, but I'm I'm glad to be joining the, the podcast with you here today and, um, yeah, talk about some news. Yeah, um, so, yeah, speaking of news, like, there's a fun, bunch of things that, can, that happened, like, maybe this past couple of weeks. Of course, like, one of them is the uh, new Madrid and Rome format being switched to two weeks, and there was a bunch of debacles in terms of other tournaments and whatnot. Today, as we speak, is a Saturday. Uh, but um, as you've noticed for from the title of this podcast, pretty obvious. Definitely the biggest news who have that have dropped, most likely in in the in the year, maybe in this in this decade so far, like since the twenty twenty started. Rafa Nadal is withdrawing from Roland Garros uh, with. Uh, with an injury that has not been healed yet, and it's the first time that he's not playing at our, at the French since 2004, when I think he withdrew that year due to an injury as well. Um, yeah. And he went on to win the title 14 times since uh, 2005, and yeah, there's literally no introduction needed for Rafa Nadal when we speak uh, about the French Open. But uh, he did hold a press conference and he outlined a few of his uh, points that he wanted to discuss with the press and that he wanted to like let his fans know. Um, so, Vansh, why don't you uh, fill us in? Yeah, I think we received word around Wednesday uh, that Nadal will be holding a press conference at his academy in Spain. Um, and at this point, I think a bunch of red flags were ringing because we knew that, okay, he's not going to be holding a press conference to announce that he's playing the French Open. No one ever does that. You would just enter and play, right? But at this point, we figured, okay, it's probably 99% sure that he's not going to play the French, but if he's holding a press conference, that doesn't exactly mean well. Uh, so we were we were definitely, we were 
definitely a bit anxious and nervous going into it. Like, but what is he actually announcing? Is this closer to the end? Obviously, hasn't played since Australia and was supposed to enter those clay court events. And we had hoped by Monte Carlo and Barcelona and do as usual, the Dow thing of playing all those five tournaments. But it just kept getting pushed back, pushed back. And, you know, we saw videos of him practicing, I think, two or three weeks ago, and they were all over Twitter. And, you know, he seemed to be shutting down a lot of his practices uh, amidst some tears as well. And just, uh, you know, it seemed seemed like it was a race for time to get the French Open rolling. But then he showed up uh, 4 p.m. on Thursday at his academy, 4 p.m. Spain time. I was actually watching this this live in the morning for work. And I, I tuned in, and it was about a 45-minute press conference. The Dow comes and greets a room full of people, his uh, agent sitting in the front row, his coach Carlos Moya in the front row as well. And I think everyone was just holding their breath, waiting to hear what he has to say. And he switched around between Catalonian, which is a different dialect of Spanish, and then normal Spanish, which is, can be easily translated for most people, and then and then English. And he sort of answered questions. But I think the main summary is he laid out three reasons why he, he wanted to hold a press conference. The first one, he just said flat out, I'm not going to be able to play Roland Garros this year. And he said uh, a, a lot of that is mostly down to the injury uh, that he, he sustained in Australia. It still hasn't healed. Remember the uh, you know doctors and physios, medical team, they all said that uh, within six to eight weeks, Rafa should be ready to go. And uh, you know he still hasn't really been able to hold the practices the way he'd wanted to. And he said he does not feel himself ready to compete. Yeah, That's the been, first thing. It's been almost twice as long as he, actually more than twice as long that, than the doctors had first uh, said. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's been, it's been a serious thing. Thank twice as long, yeah, twelve yeah. weeks. So that's a that's a long time. And so I think that that one didn't really surprise most people. We were we were expecting him to pull out of the French. Now the question is, what about the rest of the year? He said after a couple of years, the the real situation is I've not been able to enjoy my daily work and competition. And basically, what he means is that you know I haven't been able to, even though the last couple of years, basically he's he cited since the pandemic. With that long pause, if you remember, he skipped the U.S. Open that year in 2020 to get himself ready for the French and came back in October and he's had issues with his foot since. And then he skipped six months in, at the end of 2021. And he's basically been saying, although I've had a lot of success, last year I won a couple of slams. I've been winning the French Open in 2020 and I, you know, I've been posting good results, always been in the mix, top five players. Um, I It still hasn't been easy. The daily work coming back from injuries over and over again. Mentally, I think it's really starting to wear on him. So that was one of my takeaways is mentally he, he feels like he sort of needs some, um, you know, he needs some, he needs to figure out where that end is because me- mentally as well as, you know, emotionally, but obviously physically, like, you, you, you know, there's, there's no, there's, all of us have limits. So at that point he said, you know, that I'm not able to hold practices. I just won't practice anymore. For the next one month, two months, six months, however long it might it might take until until he's totally hundred percent. And then he basically said that he's thinking about next year being his last year on tour. He said probably it'll be my last year on tour. He didn't really say it's an official farewell. He left the door open uh, to basically you know basically health dependent. I think he's looking at the Davis Cup potentially in November as uh, maybe a possible. A return point to the tour, but um, yeah, he basically said as of right now, I don't know, and I th- I think he thinks that 2024 will be will be his last year. We have previous uh, precedents of this, by the way, because in 1996, Stefan Edberg he f- he formally announced 
that he's going to be doing an official tour. And basically every single event that you go to at that point, you're 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 being uh, celebrated. And it's it's like very overwhelming. Like imagine Serena at the US Open, but doing that 15 times a year or however many tournaments you just, you want to play in, whether you lose the first round or you get to the final, wherever it may be, the, all the focus and the attention will be on you, especially if you're a big draw like Nadal is, obviously. So uh, in a way, it sort of maybe puts more pressure. So maybe that was the most surprising thing out of the, the three points that he made that uh, he's sort of announcing it like it's a, like it's a, it's a farewell. So, but you know, we'll see, like no one really knows uh, like when he's returned, what situation he will be in. I think some people were saying that because it's an Olympic year and because the Olympics are being held in July post Wimbledon at the French open site, Many people thought uh, that that would be a great place for him to stop, like you know, just get the gold medal or, you know, compete for that, and then just stop at a at basically his home, which is Philip Chatrier, on that court. But um, he was asked about that actually in English, and he didn't. He basically just said, "I I don't know. I'm keeping all my options, all my oh, options open." Yeah. And and I think another thing is he said that uh, he was asked, "So so why are you giving this another goal? Like after all of this." Why don't you just stop now, right? And um, Tawani Guardian actually tweeted this, but he said that these were Nadal, Nadal's words. He said, I believe I don't deserve to finish now. I think I have fought enough during all my sporting career so that my end is not today here in a press conference. My ending will be in another way and I will fight so that my end will be in another way. So this kind of gives you insight into Nadal's philosophy a little bit, how he sort of approached his whole career and that he always wants to give himself another another chance and I think it also proves that he wouldn't just want to enter the French Open just you know to be in it like he, he would only enter if he actually thought he had a very good chance of of going deep and clearly he doesn't think he can so yeah I mean obviously the most because um, in a way I was entertaining maybe the idea that he would be able to play the, the French Open one last time and, and and retire there but I think as you said like and as you put it like he says, "Oh, I don't deserve to f- finish in this way," and I think he he didn't want to announce his, his retirement in that sense either. Like, as in, like I'm just gonna play just to finish because if he would replay the French and just end his career then and there, um, it probably would have meant that he was just completely um, has completely given up on like his body in a sense. Like, he just doesn't believe that he can come back and play at a good level. It would have been in a sense like. When Andy Roddick retired at the U.S. Open, he knew that I was not going to win, right? He, his his body yep. was, was busted. He was not going to do anything. Um, but he decided it was going to to play, and he gave his all. Like Gilles Simon last year in Paris, Versi, like they just kind of want to have like this one last time of fun and whatnot. And that's not what Nadal wants, right? He wants to be able to compete and win because, like, for him, um, a little bit like unlike Federer in that sense, like uh, Nadal. Uh, is not there just to play tennis. He's there to to win at tennis. He's, he enjoys winning. He enjoys competing at the highest level. And I think he'd be pretty frustrated if he couldn't do that. And I think Federer last year, he kind of he probably obviously loves competing, but like Federer, I think he just kind of loves to be on a tennis court with his buddies and whatnot. So the Liver Cup was a good idea for him, even though his knee was absent <laughs> from yeah, the tournament. Yeah, just one one yeah. match. Yeah, exactly. So you're just like, I'm just gonna like play for whatever and just but probably that makes sense that. because yeah. that was also yeah. his, that's his event. So I think that would have been yeah yeah in, in a way like because he didn't play the rest of the whole year. Yeah, 
it, it felt like the ideal place for him to stop with all of his rivals. And it kind of got me thinking because obviously you go back to that moment, that iconic moment where he and Rafa are holding hands, sitting on the bench, Novak behind them. And you had this whole emotional farewell that Federer got with all of his rivals and perfect way to go out uh, at an event that he created. And I'm kind of wondering if and when Nadal likes to stop, were to stop, uh, will the rest of his rivals also be present? And will that kind of be a template yeah. moving forward for all the big four? Because I think because they've made each other's, you know, so much better as people and players. And, you know, uh, they these guys talk about how they, they spent more time with each other the last 15 years than their own family. Yeah. So yeah. like they, they've been that instrumental in their lives and careers and they've pushed each other that much that I feel like they all get emotional when they see the other one go because it's it's kind of the end of an era. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like the big three itself doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. Because Federer is gone. Yeah. Rafa is, I mean, we're, we're pretty much already getting used to the, the Nadal one is... I mean, until the Australian Open this year, we were basically, you know, he was basically a top three player everywhere, along with Djokovic and Alcaraz and all these other top guys. And now, basically since January, we sort of had to reassess ourselves because we saw how the way things were going since Wimbledon of last year when he yeah. beat Taylor Fritz. And of course, was clearly injured in that match, but, you know, finished it off. And in a way, I see a lot of parallels with with Federer in the sense that his return gate kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed, just like the way Rogers was. Mm-hmm. And it's like when Roger played that match against Sandgren and he just knew he was he was gonna to be toast the next round and there were a lot of rumors whether he was gonna pull out, not being able to play and it was supposed to be him and Djokovic in the semifinals and he saved those like seven match points against Sandgren and then that was kind of it. Like that was that was his moment, you know, that was that was the last yeah. deep run we saw from him. And it's kind of like that with Rafa at Wimbledon last year. And I mean, we don't really know, but chances are like we've seen the best of Nadal now. And we've seen like, this is kind of like a close on his career, which is just crazy because you watch these players play and you see you see Federer, you see Serena and you see Nadal and they're such forces of nature, right? There's, they feel like you can, in the moment, like you know that their career is going to end at some point, but you yeah. just don't want to like embrace it at that moment because. Yeah. You... And and to be fair, like they made it, they made sure that like, um, and that's one of the points that I wanted to, to uh, tackle as well. It's like they made sure that like their career didn't necessarily decline. They, there was a point in which they were just like too injured to be playing. Isn't like they their level never really dropped as much. If you got pick up like players like, um. I don't know, like in Andre Agassi still played pretty well like up until the end of his career. But like say for example Leighton Hewitt or like Merit Safin. Um yeah. obviously you can't compare like a Leighton Hewitt to like a Rafa Nadal, like it's a totally different ballgame. But like those guys were at the top and then they started declining and their level of game was not the same, you know, and other players were able to catch up with them and players yeah. like inside of the top thirty. And then like Nadal is a con- is a constant, right? So like every time that he's at the US at the US Open at the French Open he is a top contender to win, like last year, right? And he completely destroyed Casper in the final. You know, like, there wasn't a moment where Rafa Nadal was not, you know, the top favorite to win the U.S. Open, aside from uh, 20, 2015, 2016, when he was probably at his worst um, years in terms of injury and whatnot. But um, you never really want to count him out. And that, that's, like, the presence that Nadal, he just kind of stayed at the top and left at the top not because his level of play was not good, but because his body just couldn't get there, you know. Um, 
Yeah, this is a good point. And it, yeah. it kind of got me thinking also, like, as I was watching the, uh, or listening to the press conference, I was thinking, like, I, in a way, I'm, like, very relieved. Like, obviously, I'm I'm sad that, like, Nadal's not going to be at Roland Garros because, I mean, you identify Roland Garros with Nadal. I mean, yeah. I think John Wertheim said it's, like, not having Nadal at Roland Garros is, like, you know, Paris without the Eiffel Tower. Like, the guy's basically, like, he's played it every year since 2005. Like, it's won it 14 times, like... He has a statue of himself on, like on the grounds. Like I don't think it gets much bigger than that. Basically, his aura and his his presence and that gladiator spirit that he has. Like you know, as he, soon as he's entering, like Philip Chatrier, they reel off like all of his titles and wins and matches and records, and it's like they have to catch their breath like five, six times as they're reading off that long yeah. list. And it's like it's you know, it's it's such a feature of like Roland Garros, like to just have Dahl like front and center, and it's like. It's like one of the most inevitable things in sports. Like you, you would go into some of these French Opens, literally, when you won eight or nine or ten, and you'd just be like, "Oh yeah, Nadal is in the draw. Oh yeah, he he's gonna win." Like you know, and it didn't. It almost didn't matter what he did in the lead-ups. Like he just had that kind of, just had that kind of feel to it. And so, in a way, I'm like very relieved that he he made this announcement because I don't want to see a shell of a man. Yeah, exactly. On the court, hobbling and struggling to win against world number one hundred because yeah. Like when I know that you know even a eighty percent healthier version of him would would probably win that match in street sets because like there there was also like a pretty big gulf like in his level on clay versus the rest of the field like mm-hmm. a lot of the times so and it's yeah. like and there's but, a and I mean we've seen Nadal like kind of struggle with his movement the last mm-hmm. two three four years and struggle with injuries I mean literally when he won the French Open last year he was having to numb his foot before every single every single match and. You know, there were talks of him retiring at the end of the French Open last year as well and not being able to play Wimbledon. But this just, uh, yeah, it's kind of relieving in a way and it's kind of uh, an opportunity for so many other players now in the in the field, like, you know, who's going to take this this chance Yeah, you know, between Djokovic and all of the other young yeah. players under 26. And Djokovic is probably in a way... Uh, he didn't. It doesn't look like he has any sort of like apparent injury in one out. Although he did, well, he's not. He took a lot of time off. But aside from the fact that he couldn't enter the U.S. again, but like, um, yeah, it was. Djokovic must be beating himself a little bit just because the year Nadal is really not playing the French Open is when Djokovic is not necessarily playing his best anymore. And now they have like players like Rune and Alcaraz is all on our season now. Um, yeah. You know, like, Medvedev is playing well on clay, like, for crying out loud, like, what is happening? You know, this is probably the least fortunate moment for Djokovic, for Nadal to, like, withdraw from the French. Um, and that really opens up the door for everybody else. Uh, and I think yeah. <clears throat> um, it, it, when you mentioned, like, the numbness on, on his foot, like, last year, and when when he played Fritz with a broken rib and whatnot, I think like you could see like all the signs of like pretty much every part of like Rafa's body was was yeah. having an injury of some sort. Um, I think it's and, and then when he got his yeah. foot sorted right like after the French Open, you know, he had yeah. a procedure, yeah, like that burning of the nerve, like foot ablation, I think is what it was called, yeah. right? And then and then he came into Wimbledon and we were like, okay, the you know this foot is going to be fine maybe for the next year, yeah. Uh, but then he had so many other injuries after that. Like yeah. He had the abdominal injury. He had the, you know, before that he had the he had the hip thing. Then he didn't play anything until Cincinnati, and he loses to 
Chorch there and you're thinking, okay, he was yeah. open. Maybe he can work his way into it. There's no Djokovic. He was probably the favorite going in with the exception of maybe Alcaraz and Sinner and, you know, a few other players. But it's like, you know, he was pretty much, like, he had won two of the four, two of the three slams until that point. He hadn't lost at a major all of last year until the U.S. Open. And then, like, you know, but you could see, like, even during the U.S. Open, like, he, he just wasn't right. And then we later knew that, like, he re-injured his abdomen a week before, but he just wanted to play because he figured, okay, I'm 70, 80%. Maybe, like, I can still work my way. I can win this thing. And then, yeah. yeah, and then he had that whole exhibition tour with Casper Ruud after the World Troll Finals. And I was surprised that he played Paris and ATP Finals in a way. And maybe, you know, maybe a chance to get back to number one. Uh, you know, maybe just play these tournaments one one or two last times again, whatever it might be. And I actually felt very optimistic because when he beat Ruud, like, you know, I, I pretty much didn't read much into what happened second half of last year because I was like, okay, like Nadal's not expected to do well. Like he had all these injuries indoor season. He's never really done very well after the US Open. Yeah. So I'm like, it's going to be all about the clay season 2023. And I won't write him off until I see him play in Monte Carlo, Barcelona, all that. And then once that like didn't happen, then it became really real. Like, okay, it's been a year now and he hasn't looked right. Yeah. So. <clears throat> I think then it, it plays as well part of a, excuse me, in part of the the part of and the that the little part where he says that he wasn't really enjoying his game, he wasn't really enjoying playing. I think it does get to a point where you you're so injured all the time. That exactly, it's just got like I can't take this anymore. Like it, I mean, and he's got injured this one time, and it kept prolonging itself. And I think that's when he got this maybe this realization after all this time off that he's got. Like he just probably thought to himself, man. This sucks. It's like, I mean, who likes being in pain? I mean, probably Nadal has been in pain for a long, long, long time in his career because as a professional athlete, it is actually pretty common that athletes have pain here and there. Um, and tennis is no different. It's a very high high performance, high high demand, like in terms of your physical, um, you know, aspect of uh, the game. Um, but when he got all this time off and he couldn't pull it off, he wasn't really feeling it. Um, I'd he probably consider like some aggressive methods, like then the, the foot thing, like in uh, like last year with the, the numbing and whatnot, maybe he explored some of the situations or he probably thought himself, man, why am I doing this anymore? Like what's the point? And it, it probably just got exhausting, like fit emotionally, uh, mentally for him to sustain all of this. And, I am glad that he's taking the decision to step off because he needs to like heal properly. I think there is a part of a of a not to like draw too many uh, parallels, but like Roger said as well, like he just kind of wants to be able to ski with his kids and like live for, like a proper life after tennis. And I think maybe there is a part of Nadal that like is looking at Roger now and 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 thinking, hey, like there's there's life after tennis, and yeah. I need to be healthy for it too because there's only. Well, in tennis terms, yes, he's old because it's like thirty-seven years old. But like in life, he's he's no. just thirty-seven years old. Like, dude, he's he's yeah. got so much left. Like, I mean, and it in twenty twenty-four, if he comes, he probably will come. Obviously, like, I I think maybe he's gonna come like around eighty, ninety percent of like his like full physical form. We might see a lot of like the best of Nadal because he's gonna be playing with some abandon as well. Um. So yeah, I feel like there's 
a part of that of me that is just thinking that Nadal is probably like trying to like reevaluate his life as a whole now and seeing like where tennis how to fit tennis in in it um yeah. in his future i guess yeah and let's be real he's given the sport much more than we all could have really hoped but with his with the how physical his game was how yeah. demanding it was to come back from all those injuries mentally and physically and like it's not just like it's like accepting it in the moment but then like going through six or eight months sometimes of like strenuous rehab, re-injuries, um, getting prepared to come back to a little bit. Oops, working his way up. And it's like, yeah, you just want him to enjoy his post-tennis career, like whatever that may be, like chilling in his yacht on yeah. his, you know, island in Mallorca or like just, yeah, like doing, being able to play golf, being able to play tennis, being able to raise his, his newborn son mm-hmm. and... You know, like, it's not just his sacrifices. Like, it, he also mentioned that my team has had gone through a lot. My team has had to sacrifice so much for me, and I don't want to keep putting them in danger. Yeah. And I think he's just thinking about the bigger picture, his his own health, yeah. his yeah. mental health, his, yeah, his family, his his parents, the people at his academy as well. Like, he, he gives so much back to his to his academy and his, his students and yeah. It's a whole full time operation that they have going in. Uh, and his academy is like Yeah. State of the art. Like it's such a yeah. I mean it's like a proper school and everything where kids go and they learn and study university, like it's all very well planned. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an actual like ATP tournament, like a two fifty, like or five hundred. I think they hosted a challenger, I think I wanna say in twenty nineteen and Andy Murray was in it. And yeah, I mean I just uh I just think, uh, yeah, his body was giving him signs and now he's just, he's listening to his, his body. But like, you know, if you had told someone in 2006 that he would be still play, playing right now at this level. Yeah. and That he would have won a Grand Slam in 2022, two Grand Slams in 2022. Yeah, and most people were saying, I mean, this guy, the way he's playing, no way he's going past 30. No way he's... Yeah, like, I was one of these people. Like when I started watching tennis, was early enough that like I could get this impression. And then 2009 happened and that's when we... We started like putting it in to Nadal's career, and uh, yeah. I think 2010 happened, and then 20, 2013 happened again. And at that point, we all started like, okay, now I guess it's a point of like, whenever he wants to stop, because it's it looks like he's gonna be pretty good for a while. <laughs> yeah, and then you just look at how he like adapted his game over the years, and how much he like actually technically improved. It's like, you know, he probably tinkered with his serve five or six different times. It became a reliable weapon for him. Like he was able to win on hard courts, on grass. He was able to, like, modify his game around. Some of his best rivals also helped him get loads better with Djokovic and Federer and a lot of these other younger players. And it's like you know you just see him like grit out these wins that are like against the odds. Like when he played, obviously the one that immediately stands out is when he won the Australian Open last year. Yeah, a position that he was in. It's like, you know, he he was truly someone who. You felt I could come back from whatever impossible situation and just because his mentality was just was just that type that at the same time it's like you know you even questioned at points did he go too far like should he have yeah. even continued playing in certain matches and certain tournaments and I think he always wanted to just leave honorably and have no regrets yeah and 
yeah, there comes a point where you just have no more, more, no more to give. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to write too much of his obituary right now because it's <laughs> like, he could be back next year and we could be talking about him winning his 15th French Open and he could be, he could be, all this could like change. I mean, we live in a sport where in 2019, Andy Murray retired at a press conference and at the Australian Open. Yeah. And then he was winning Antwerp nine months later. Yeah. And who knows? There is, there is, depending on like how Nadal takes this, uh, this next six to seven months ahead of him. Who knows? Maybe he could even like get back to number one, like for another couple of weeks, like like Federer did, like back in twenty seventeen, um, when he did it. Like I think it was his last stint as number one. Um, but you know, like he he was obviously thirty five. Now he's older. The thing than is, that he just have to be a lot healthy. You just have to get yeah. back to like full health, or at least close to it, and be playing a lot. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. So I'm curious to see like which tournaments he'll actually enter. Yeah. I mean, he obviously would cho- choose all of the, the clay tournaments. I don't If he skips yeah, one, maybe Rome. Everything to win the French. Yeah. yeah. Prioritize everything to win the French, but... Yeah be interesting to see if he just plays others just to you know say his final goodbye or yeah i wonder if he intends to try to play miami just to win it <laughs> oh yeah miami i think that i think some of those ships have sailed like miami and paris yeah ATP finals but but i think you know usually he's done a good job of sort of prioritizing his body to be maximally as healthy as possible for roland garros and those clay tournaments but mm-hmm. when you're seeing that he's not even to be, be able to be healthy to play on clay yeah, that's a that's a huge thing because it's like, yeah, we saw him pull out of twenty sixteen French Open with a wrist thing, but he still played two matches. He still looked good in the lead ups. We still thought of him as a more of a favorite than we did in twenty fifteen, let's say. But then, mm-hmm. and then you obviously you had the stuff in the beginning of his career, sort of ending with an injury and pulling out of the. You mentioned two thousand four, like two thousand four, he had a foot injury that kept him out, and then. The year before that, he was supposed to make his debut, and he had an elbow injury, and that put him, that put him out. So, it ended up winning it on his debut in two thousand five. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, we're talking about a he turned professional in two thousand one, so we're talking about a now twenty two, twenty three year career. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's it's like more than half of his life at this point. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was an incredible stat about him not leaving the top ten, right? Yeah, and so since April two thousand five to about March twenty twenty three, he was a top ten player. Like that's more than many of the WTA players. Yeah, like, I think it's like Fuvertova and stuff. Like that's more than their yeah. entire lifetime. He never once dropped out the top ten. That's really crazy. Yeah, for some people, Nadal in the top ten, Nadal at the top of the game is just a fact of life. <laughs> yeah, and so it's going to be crazy when you see the rankings come out after the French Open, and it'll be outside the top hundred. Yeah. Like, and, you know, at, at at this point, I think the other thing is if he wants to play the Olympics, I think there's like some like requirements that you have to play. There are. Maybe yeah. that's, I think that's why he's talking about Davis Cup because he knows that he has to like play a couple of matches there or like at least try to 
Like, it's not like the other tournaments where you can just be like, hey, I'm Nadal. I, I get a wild card. He'll probably get a wild card every single other place that he goes to. Yeah. yeah. As he should, right? But um, I don't think Olympics, like, works that way. Like, with the committee and the... Different... Yeah, I don't exactly know. It depends a bit on the federations and on the uh, Olympic committee. Yeah. And, you know, there's like... There's a ranking system that goes into that as well. Yeah. Um, and but, of course, yeah. he's already won the Olympics in singles and doubles, so this would just be a... yeah. And, and you, 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 yeah, you mentioned the Davis Cup. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any like too many um, things for Nadal like left to do in the Olympics. Like if he wants to go for another goal, for sure. But like, there's really not that much of a point. <clears throat> but you, you mentioned the Davis Cup, <clears throat> and it's been held in in Spain for the past. Like, yeah for years, five years now. And I I do wonder, like, because Nadal has loved to play the Davis Cup, unlike most of, like, not most, but, like, a bunch of the uh, top players um, who sometimes play, um, like, Federer, like, played occasionally. Um, yeah, it was just about winning it once. I think for the others, like, it was the same. They for just like it, yeah. Andy yeah. and for... Even Djokovic uh, plays yeah. quite often. But... I do wonder, like, if, if it's being being held in Madrid as well, if it's being held uh, in in Spain. Who knows? Even Nadal could even like offer his academy to be uh, the the grounds for for a Davis Cup tie in Manacora. Yeah. That'd be insane. I think it could maybe if he gets chosen, if he like does that, I think he could probably do that. Like, it could be like a, some sort of like a Roger Federer way of retiring in a sense, like with his bodies. Like, it, I I don't think that there will be. Yeah something more significant to him and, than and retiring like, yeah basically by then he knows that like i can't do 2024 then oh yeah but like i mean in 2024 if he ends up playing davis oh, cup again 2024 yeah. at the davis cup okay yeah. okay i see what you're saying yeah yeah that, i think that, that could be a possibility be, yeah. but like i'm not sure like i wonder because as nadal left it open there is zero um i've i feel like for me i couldn't see i cannot see any evidence or any anything leading to uh to where does Nadal want to retire? Does he want to yeah, retire at the French Open? I don't even think he, he wants to retire at the French Open. He loves Spain too much, like in my opinion, <laughs> to retire at the French Open. He would retire yeah. in Barcelona first, then then he would in... Uh, um... But it'll be interesting to see like, if he reevaluates his goals depending on how much he actually is able to play and achieve. Yeah. I think it depends on both the result as well as the, the feeling and the, like how what his body is telling him. Because, yeah, yeah like he, he left it completely open. Yeah, it's not like an official farewell. Like this is my last time, but he's like it probably is. Like you know, it's yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, he has to come back really, really healthy in twenty twenty four and stay healthy the entire yeah. time for him to want to come back in twenty twenty five. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, if we, yeah, if we, uh, if we're looking. Because obviously, as we said, like the, this is the first time since 2004 that Nadal hasn't played in the French Open. What do you? What are your favorite moments of Nadal there since uh, we we hit this milestone? And again, we're not trying to retire Nadal ahead of time. We might have need to have this conversation again next year. But um, do you have any anything that comes to mind? Yeah, in terms of favorite, I mean, there's a lot of like very, very impressive matches that he's played, obviously, in finals mm. against his big rivals, where he's just, we thought going in, we'd get a, maybe a closer match, and because of his greatness, we just haven't, <laughs> we just didn't see it because he was so dominant in yeah. 
many of the finals that he played, I think like seven of the 14, he didn't even drop a set. And some of those were against Federer and Djokovic and Bovrinka team even. I think maybe one of my favorite finals that he's played is the 2019 match against Dominic team. The first mm-hmm. two sets of that match were insane quality. Um, they were like just, this was like team at his absolute very best. Uh, unfortunately, he could only really sustain that level for two sets because he'd mm-hmm. been playing for four days in a row. And I think that maybe helped Nadal even more. Not that, not that he needed any help, but Nadal playing on Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, and then team playing every day because of the rain. And then coming off the physical match against Djokovic, I think he just ran out of gas in the last two sets. But the first two sets of that match over two hours were some insane shot making, and he had to withstand a lot to even when when like the first set, even though it was six three scoreline. But so in terms of finals, I think that's one of the more memorable ones. Maybe the ones against Djokovic in twenty twelve, twenty fourteen. I think the final against oh yeah twenty thirteen. I mean twenty thirteen is the Probably the semifinal, which was the de facto final. Yeah. And then Novak. That's maybe the match that I think stands out to a lot of people because obviously Djokovic and Nadal, their rivalry, I mean, they played each other 10 times at Roland Garros alone, or 59 times overall, but the three matches that everyone points to in the best of five were the Australian Open 2012 final, the Roland Garros semifinal in 2013, and then, of course, the Wimbledon semifinal. So I think that's definitely one of the better matches. Obviously, you had all the drama with. Like, you know, the net Rafa, court. yeah, the lead court. Rafa, like, didn't finish it off in the fourth set. Novak comes all the way back. He plays great to get the break. He puts himself in fantastic position, and then he misses the, yeah, he hits the lead court as he's hitting the smash. And then, then he, yeah, then Rafa comes back around to win it 9 7. But, oh, uh, I mean, yeah, that match certainly had its ups and downs. Um, it was high quality at points for sure. Um, I'm trying to think. I think there's maybe another match that gets lost because it's it happened so long ago and it was early in Nadal's career. It wasn't against one of his big rivals. That's the match against Paul Henry Mathieu. Oh yeah, that was, was a like, good one. Yeah. Yeah, it was like almost five hours, but it was. It's four like, I've only seen I've only seen highlights of it on YouTube because like I I wasn't a tennis fan in 2006. I was only like five years old at the time, but I. I went back on YouTube during the pandemic and like watched it, and it was, yeah. Was it like four six seven five seven five seven five, right? Yeah, he ended up losing the first set seven five, and then the last three sets were six oh, yeah. four each. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, it was, the opposite. Yeah, it was like four hours fifty three minutes, like so physical. Like that. It was, that it just... it's it's one of the long list of players that, I guess Nadal and you know Federer and Djokovic had those guys as well, but like, then Nadal destroyed. Um, mentally, after winning a match like that, because it's yeah, you know, it's it it lifts up Nadal as a champion, but it obviously puts some put the other guy like at probably his worst, like emotionally, because it it when you play a match like this and you still come out losing, you it's you're probably thinking like what ha- what do I have to do? Like, will I ever be able to play at this level again? Like, can I ever win? So <laughs> it's tough, yeah. And I think another one that I really enjoyed last year was the was the match against Felix. Yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah, just because he had to dig so deep to win that. Um had to play some insane stuff, particularly in the fifth set. Because Felix's serve and his forehand were really, really firing for points in that match. And yeah. you had that awkward situation with Tony Nadal as Felix's coach. And obviously that was in Netflix yeah, that was. as well. And 
so like the dynamics as well as like the like pushing away the young rival and like the quality of the match definitely the fifth set I thought was the best tennis yeah. match but yeah that's definitely one that stands out yeah mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna say something that um, a, a lot of Nadal fans will not enjoy very much but like I think one of the yeah. most important moments for Nadal's career um, at the French Open and I guess for tennis lore as well was um, 2009 when uh, he lost to Robin Soderling not necessarily because it was his best match he was not but um, it's just the fact that for four years Nadal had not lost a match uh, in, in Paris so it, it was starting to become like this sort of like urban legend like Nadal is, just can't lose in Paris and mm-hmm. When he lost for the first time, I think the tennis world just stopped for a moment to kind of like just stay in awe of that, like double check the score and see if that was actually happening. Because honestly, like it, it was phenomenal. And at that time, he had four French Opens and he was going for Bar- Borg's six. Um, it was like a matter of time that he, he got there. But like at the time, nobody expected him to go as far as yeah. 14. So yeah, so I think that was one of the beginnings like had a sense like uh, of how much Nadal like showed how strong he is at the French like to lose a match for the first time and come back and win another like five times I think yeah win, win in five in a row yeah and it's, beat the guy who beat you in the like, in the final yeah. final so that was yeah and then you know Federer was very thankful so that Nadal lost oh yeah yeah Federer yeah. fans are won't be complaining at all because that's that was needed, I think, in order for Roger to actually win the French Open yeah. at that point, and given how dominant Nadal was. It actually makes me a bit sad for Soderling. Yeah. For sure. his career ended the way it did. I think he's one of the most like under talked about guys when it comes to like what ifs in tennis. Because yeah. Because of, yeah. Like how insane that 2009-2011 period was for him at the French Open, but also just generally he was yeah. the peak of his career and then like you know, he had mononucleosis and all those anxiety was, attacks. Yeah. And never stepped on the court again. And the last match, exactly. two matches that he played were bagels and breadsticks against Ferrer and Burdich yeah. in his home country in Sweden. That was a it was a really sad way to go for him for sure, especially because the way that he was playing. I guess as you said, at the French, it almost made you think that he could have had a chance. Like I mean, in a sense, like yeah. uh, if he kept playing that way. But again. um, team came along and it, it didn't happen for him yet um we'll see if like team ever gets back to his former self but uh yeah, yeah i guess cathartic, i think to see that team got a wild card or i mean t- not not a wild card team wasn't given a wild card but he was entered he was given entry into the main draw because of nadal pulling out <laughs> oh yeah it did it does fit really well that this happened to okay. To him, like it, it's impressive that they wouldn't give him a wild card, but I guess like it, yeah, it makes yeah. sense in a way. I, I but think he he got in just based on people pulling out. Yeah, could you imagine team having to play a uh, qualifying at Roland Garros? That would be pretty sad. Yeah, if people hadn't pulled out, he, that would have happened. He would have the had French, too. Yeah. They like to give wild cards to either the champions or French or French people. Things. Yeah, but yeah, it's a bit sad. I probably would have given it to him if I was in their position. Yeah, right. Um. But yeah, I think you know. Also, when you see the double play and you see the 
some of those qualities you see, like the way that people talk about Nadal, like the other players. You know, even like they've been getting asked like throughout this whole play season, who's the favorite? Like, are you the favorite for the French Open? You know, they'd ask Rona, they'd ask Sinner, they'd ask yeah. Alcaraz, they'd ask all these top players, and they all just said like, no, if Nadal is in the draw, it's Nadal. If yeah. yeah, if he's if he's playing like be. Yeah, like I think Medvedev was asked, and he's like, you know, ninety five percent favorite. If he's in, if he didn't even play a single match for five months, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think twenty twenty had taught us this lesson, right? Like Nadal can come out of nowhere if he's feeling good; he can't win the French Open. Yeah, and 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 Without the... even dropping a set like in October yeah. and. And completely dismantling Djokovic in the final too. It was like yeah. that. It was a statement of the of tennis. There was not a bigger statement in tennis than that match. I think, like in terms of yeah. how dominant a player can be, and in in terms of that as well. Uh, Medvedev actually, like in his quote, he mentioned something about like how um, Djokovic has won ten times the Australian Open, which is pretty big. But there's no doubt that. Um, Rafa's 14 um, Roland Garros are the biggest achievement in tennis. Like, do you, what do you think mm. about that? No, I, I think it is. Like, I, yeah. I don't see like how that can ever be topped. Same. Because, like, let's say like Djokovic does win like 15 Australian Opens and something like that. He still have to play for like five, six years. It's very unlikely. And also it's like, it's just not the same. Because it's like, you look at, like he's 112 and three. So you look at that, and then you look at, like, he was only pushed to five sets, like, two or three times in total. Yeah. Isner and Djokovic once, and Felix, and they all lost those three matches. And it's like, all the others have been either three sets or four sets, and just the whole empire that he's built around that that place. Yeah, I, I mean, I for ten, tennis, for sure, it may, in, others, in all sports, it might even be the best. Yeah, like, yeah it's, it's definitely, yeah. It's definitely an argument that, like, this is, a top three top five records in sports in general like there's in sports history and i like if you were to tell me that it'll never be broken like i you know for most of these things it's like sports evolves like every single record like at some point gets gets broken in or maybe like not while we are alive yeah you and me but like at some point in the next hundred years it's like yeah. kind of expected like as sports evolves and like technology gets better and like yeah i mean there's a playing longer like it's exactly. possible that, like, even even in, even these records that we're seeing right now, like twenty two majors, twenty three, like they seem untouchable. But like once you get on a roll, like once you're, you know, you're at ten plus, all of that, like it becomes it becomes all possible. And then yeah, it doesn't mean that it becomes easier. Like for example, yeah. the 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 Grand Slam records in terms of like um, when you look at the all time Grand Slam leader, um, and you look at Margaret Court, which is a whole other thing, but like it's easy to see that it was a lot easier for her. And then now we have guys coming close by like two Grand Slams. Serena came close by one Grand Slam. And it's yeah. no doubt that it's a, a much tougher achievement what she did now. And to think that maybe in the future it could even be harder to do that. I mean, who knows? And I guess like when you, when you put that point, like maybe players playing, playing longer, I think the only thing that could come close to Nadal... Um, Nadal's achievement at the French would be a person who is able to play longer than Nadal and 
has a better winning percentage. <laughs> that's the only yeah, way that I, I can I see. think it's the win percentage. Yeah, for me, because if it, it, because it, it can play for like 25 years. You play for like, suppose that in, in 100 years, you say like players are able to play for like 30 years on tour. If you win 15 Grand Slams and your winning percentage is below Nadal's, I would still pick Nadal over you for like a better... That's like, why I think it, it is the best record in tennis because it's yeah. like... Like even Djokovic, for example, was like insane at the Australian Open. Like he still lost eight times. It's still exactly. like ninety percent win percentage. Like or like Sampras at Wimbledon when he won. Like he's like sixty three and seven. It's like ninety percent. Yeah, you know Federer's around ninety percent at Wimbledon too. It's like those aren't. It's not like the same as like ninety eight percent, which is like yeah. it's a nearly ridiculous. Yeah. this is almost a hundred percent winning. Yeah, and yeah. But, but yeah, and then it also just opens it up for the rest of the field. And I don't think there's any, I don't believe in asterisks personally in sports. Like that's just not how I operate Yeah. when it comes to that. So it's, it's not like whoever wins is going to have an asterisk. Like I, I just don't, don't believe that at all. It's not like yeah. an asterisk, a whole tournament just because I mean, one man is not. It's, yeah, especially because if you have to ask, if you start asterisking now, you, you're gonna have to asterisk like literally every single tournament once the big three is retired. It's like, oh, but the big three weren't there. Yeah, like, like, it doesn't make like, sense. Like, like injuries are there. Like curves yeah. pull out all the time. It's like, it's like like 128 players. Like, it's not a given. Plus, yeah, it's like, like even even the the most records, no one's gonna look back from it like 100 years from now and be like, oh, but. In 2022, Nadal wasn't in the draw, or 2023, Nadal wasn't in the draw. Therefore, I don't know, Carlos Alcaraz, like, let's asterisk this. It yeah. doesn't really work like that. Doesn't make sense, yeah. Yeah. It's not like you look at the big three and you're like, okay, I think Djokovic, 22 slams, okay, I'm going to asterisk 2021 Wimbledon or whatever because he didn't face X, Y, Z. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's not really a thing. And in that regard, I mean, it 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 might sound like really ridiculous, like because in hindsight, yeah, of course, like Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer all have like so many titles and are so great. But at the beginning of their careers, they didn't start off with like twenty Grand Slams. They didn't start off as the greatest of all time. So, you are you going to asterisk all of their first Grand Slam titles because they didn't face like Sampras and Agassi at their primes? Like, you're not going to do that because you know. They they be whoever's in front of them, and they do have some advantage of time, and just like Akras and uh, the new guys are have the advantage of being younger. But like it's it's just yeah. sports, right? So like sometimes you even have the advantage of your guy like just rolling over like their ankle and like retiring. Yeah, in a well, way, I think like it's going to be interesting to see like what how the best of five thing plays into it at the French Open because yeah, obviously like Novak would have expected to do better in Rome. Than he than he did. I mean, he still made the quarterfinals. He still won three matches. Still won a set against Rona. Didn't look great. Wasn't the best level from him. Yeah. Got outplayed at certain points. But it's like it's still best of five. He yeah. still won the thing twice. He's still like like he can just click into gear and like the other players haven't proven it yet. You know, yeah. even as great as Alcaraz is, as good, good as Rona has been, it's there's still like that unknown of like best of five. Like, can they do it in a really big match? Yeah. Because this guy, like, I mean, we've seen Djokovic come back from two sets to love down twice. Yeah. In the same tournament to win the thing. So it's... Yeah. And it's, it's all about, I think you've mentioned that a few times, that it's all about how you manage the match, right? So, like, you, you know, we have, like, five sets. You potentially have five sets to to work with. So, like, if it, you're... It took, if, it took yeah. Djokovic a while to figure, like, out how exactly. to do Exactly, yeah. Like, you know, he used to be able to just go week after week after week, and now he just can't, can't do that anymore. Like, he can't yeah. just rely on... 
of lasting players from the back of the court. Yeah. Like, like he still can when he needs it. Yeah. But he's not going to be able to do that all the time. So I think that's like where the difference is. And it's like, it's yeah. where you sort of see him ace himself or like take more losses before slams. And... Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like last year, like he wasn't his best. And well, not last year, but like uh, the year before. Yeah, like uh, 2021. Yeah. Like he didn't win Rome, he skipped Madrid, then play one, Monte Carlo, didn't play well. His and, home country lost. And notably lost to Nadal in Rome. So. Yeah. But yeah, before we get too carried away, uh, putting favorites for the French Open, this we took the time to like have this podcast like a little bit to discuss about Nadal. And now that I think of it, I think it was pretty clear like what what Nadal said, and like I think like the key words that like Nadal is not playing the French Open. That's the most um, I think important fact for like the near future. But at the end of the day, it's like. It's hard to like make anything out of what's gonna happen next because of the way that he yeah. he left things open for the future. So I think we just have to wait and see maybe another Hola Todos in uh, on Twitter and then we'll know like what's happening. So but yeah. At this yeah. point we just it's just we're we're on the waiting game. Yeah, we're on the waiting game and it's just we're just sort of getting used to a new um like calibrating in our heads a new sort of future without these guys and yeah. I think the sport will move on. We'll still have excellent stories. We'll still have great quality matches. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so like, I mean, Nadal was talking about that show, like in that, and his this thing, like the French Open will go on without P. The tournaments and the players make it what a great event it is. It was like the most Nadal statement ever. But yeah. basically, but yeah, like I think, I think obviously, like yeah, his his presence, like his humility, is all the great qualities that he had, like to elevate the sport. I think those will not be forgotten. A lot of the players are inspired by that when yeah. playing on tour right now. So yeah, it's just kind of taking that forward, and then we just have to wait and see, like what what happens, what happens next. But it's been an amazing, like twenty years with, like we've just been spoiled. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting, I guess. Like uh, for a generation like ours who grew grew up like watching these guys, yeah. um, in at their peaks and like it got them at different stages of their careers and still like beating everybody else. So, yeah, I think it's as you, you, I think you put it perfectly. When and we, it's not like it's unprecedented that we've seen the Grand Slams without um with only Djokovic, for example, or like without any of the three like going uh, deeper into the tournament but the French Open does feel different like now that yeah. is just not going to be there at all like that definitely has a, a bigger ring to it than, than the other ones I think so yeah yeah so I mean, that'll be the first time ever so we'll see how that looks this year but yeah alright so yeah this was good this was yeah good to sure sort of give this some more context and the backstory and then talk a lot about his career. So I think we did a good job and uh, yeah, hopefully the listeners enjoyed it. I think they will. Yeah, for sure. If you, uh, if you think that we've forgotten about something or you just want to add to the conversation, like just feel free to tweet at us at uh, Tennis and Bagels um, at Vanshvi2k for his personal account. Vanshvi is a big superstar on Twitter now, so like he may not respond immediately. (laughs) 
you can tweet at me at Rollenberg Andre and Hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll respond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I try and uh, yeah, to I'm just joking. You punch his As the doubt says, you know, I try my best. Yeah. <laughs> Owen's still in Australia, so he couldn't be with us again. But like, he is still active, and you can still tweet at him at Tennis Nation. So, um, Owen, if you're listening to this, I uh, hope we can get all of three of us together soon. So, um, yeah. With that being said, um, have a great one, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye.